we see five common areas that uh, they start leaking revenue. This is like really where we start when we work with clients is to really take a look at their revenue model and um, take a look at our, you know, our five key areas to say, where are things breaking down? Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of ending slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and a warm collisions, YYC. Welcome. I've got two guests on the show today, which is always exciting, increases the dynamic and revs up the conversation. Jennifer Applin and Alice Chandra Sakran from, I hope I got that right, Alice, from Digital Magenta. You guys, we had the opportunity, got introduced through a really good friend of mine who's also been on the show multiple times, uh, Wilson Acton, a good friend of mine. Um, and I know Jennifer, you guys go way back. It's the one degree of separation. I love the world we live in here in West, yeah. Western Canada. But let's just start right from the top. Let's jump in the old, uh, what, what what we do, elevator pitch elevator. What What is a digital magenta? Tell us what you guys are all about and then we'll unpack it. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, so what we do is we work with uh, B2B companies and uh, we help our clients recover and grow revenue with less overhead. Boom, okay, wow, we only had two floors of that, so that's good. Talk to me about recover, like grow revenue. I get it. You know, we're going to, we're always trying to grow and get new customers. You, the word recover there kind of caught my attention a little bit. What do you mean by recover? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so let me get into that. So, you know, what we observe is, um, you know, when, uh, when an early stage company kind of goes through its initial phase of, of rapid growth, um, and you know, they're, they're kind of getting bigger and heading, you know, past that, you know, 10, 20 million mark in revenue. Um, we see five common areas that uh, they start leaking revenue. This is like really where we start when we work with clients is to really take a look at their revenue model and um, take a look at our, you know, our five key areas to say, where are things breaking down, right? So we can, you know, say, let's, you know, not, not start filling, uh, you know, an empty um, gasoline tank that has a hole in it. Let's make sure we <laughs> plug those holes and then build um, you know, the revenue foundation from there. How predictable you said there's five. And of course, we're, I'm, I'm, not, I'm dying to ask you to lay them all out. But is it is it fairly consistent? Like we're all unique and we're all different, but yet we all tend to stumble like specifically around that growth trajectory of like rapid growth. All of a sudden things are starting to swell. We're getting busier, but then processes maybe fail. New team members get added quickly. 
is, is that really just systemic across the board in terms of your ability to say, well, these are the five. You might have a you, your version of them, but they're probably going to all land in a similar place. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's um, that's a really good point. So there, there are five key areas that that we take a look at, and, and I can go over what those are. Um, how those manifest in in companies, it always looks a little bit different. Um, but you know, the, the key areas are, you know, does the company have the right focus? Are they spending, uh, investing funds in the right areas? Um, specifically you know, when it comes to sales, like, cause so much I've, you know, I've, and I do work a lot in the space as well. Companies are very focused on their R and D and their product and their solution sometimes, and then maybe sales next. And then often marketing or messaging comes third. There's a bunch of other things in there too, but so often what got them there is also what starts to let them down, which was their expertise in a very specific product or service that solves a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we um, we look at things holistically, right, across the, the entire revenue function. So when we're looking for these leaks, um, we are looking across, you know, the marketing sales and uh, and even the customer success functions um, to identify okay. where, where they're showing up. Um, you know, so the lack of focus is one. Um, I'll just, you know, quickly touch on the manual process. Uh, just to your to your point, I think you uh, you pointed that out. Um, disjointed technologies across those functions, um, siloed teams. Uh, you you hit on that, um, and the biggest leak that that we find is unreliable data or unusable data, uh, and companies making decisions on on data that might not be um, pointing them in the right direction. Uh, manual processes. We're drowning in a, in, a, in an era of tools. You can app yourself to death, <laughs> and oh, I've got an app for this, and oh, someone you know we'll use this CRM or we'll use this tool or this mm -hmm. marketing automation or whatever the case may be. Do you find a lot of companies are still kind of quote unquote building Excel spreadsheets to do this? When you say manual, is that is that where we're is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. So we see a few different things manifest here. Um, so number one is the company may not have um, you know added technology yet, and they are still in Excel spreadsheets. Um, so, so that's one situation. Another situation is that, and this is probably the more common one, that they have added technology, um, but they're still managing their processes in those Excel spreadsheets. Um, sometimes we see that they've added too much technology, right? And they have a lot of overlap and they have a lot of data in, in different systems. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it, again, it, it kind of shows up um, in different ways. You know, sometimes there is, you know, starter technology that's been invested in, um, right? But, you know, again, it's, it's not being used to its fullest, you know, potential, or it doesn't offer the capability they really need for the stage of growth and, and the goals that they're trying to achieve. And, Have you guys um, found, and maybe I'll direct, direct this at Atlas, companies that look at the tool to solve the process versus having a process and then choosing the right tool to support it. And I've always heard that, like, don't ever buy a project management tool if you don't actually know how to project manage, because that won't yeah. solve your problem. But I've met with a lot of companies, oh, we bought this tool and this will solve it for us. But yet we really have no idea what we were doing before. And this tool comes in and often frustrates people and then adoption and then you just get in kind of a, like a, a broken change management cycle. So I was curious from your perspective around that tech or how important is it to really be clear on your process before you go looking for the shiny tool? Yeah, this just, um, you know, as we were talking, there's just one clear example that just like um, came to mind. So the company uh, was transitioned uh, to a new tech that was more supporting them for the long term. But what we noticed was between sales and marketing, there was a process leak. 
Mm. Right. So they were this is that classic example of even though there is this new technology in place, they were still doing the things the way they were doing it before. So they were basically like, you know, oh, okay, well, this is a marketing qualified lead, but there was no alignment on what that is. And sales teams got it, but they weren't really actioning it. So there was massive revenue leak happening there. So when we uncovered it and when we brought it up, brought it up for discussion, it was just kind of clear. Oh, my gosh, this really fits our ICP. Right. So it's it's process, it's alignment and it's leveraging the technology in the right way because there's automation to help, you know, mitigate these revenue leaks. So the, a combination of this happened and. They were basically spending um, a whole year of effort and money building their marketing function and getting frustrated. Why are there no results? And the marketing team is like, well, there are, there are leads in the system. But again, the, the teams needed to be brought together. And it's really looking holistically ac across the revenue function at the end of the day really helped us to you know solve that. And um, at the end of the day, right now, <clears throat> And once this was said and done, we we talked to their CEO and the, and the conclusion that we came to was he basically said, oh, these leads are way better. We get way better customers. They are right on our ICP and our team enjoys working with these customers as well. But right? simply because those two groups didn't get together from a perspective, you've got marketing, which I have a slight bias towards being a marketer and often who gets <laughs> blamed a lot. I'm just going to say that yeah. to play the victim here. Damn marketing, but they were driving uh, marketing qualified leads of their ICP ideal customer profile, but because they hadn't really sat down or, or, or streamlined it, they were, it's like a business. It's like a, it's like the bag of business cards after the trade show that no one knows what to do with. And it gets put on someone's desk. Like that trade show was a waste of time. I'm bringing it back to something old school yeah. that we can relate to, but without a proper strategy, all those leads, which used to be business cards. Now we're doing it digitally, just end up sitting in the back drawer of a salesperson's desk and never get action. Cause I think yeah, we can all relate right. to that story. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that, you know, a uh, hundred times. <laughs> um, when you guys go in, I'm just like, those initial, like you, there's gotta be a lot of transparency and a lot of willingness. Like you you really have to look under the hood yeah. to be able to do what you guys do. <clears throat> and with yeah. all these silos and like this department and that department, how hard is it even at that onset to get the right data for you guys to be able to go, all right, we're we're ready to make some from some statements here about what actually is going on here when the company themselves maybe doesn't even know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, you know, that's really the way our process is designed, right? Is to be able to look under the hood. So before we even really get to data, I, I just want to touch on, you know, the company really has to have the right mindset. Right. They want to be um, they need to be open to looking under the hood and really thinking about their perceived problem in potentially a different way, um, because I think a, often what we see is, you know, there's a perceived problem um, and that might be symptomatic. Right. So do they have the mindset to, yes, let's open it up, let's take a look at, you know, technologies, systems, processes, data, um, and be open to, you know, something that they might not have, um, not have thought of yet. Okay. Yeah. Who, who typically, where does that fire get lit? Is that happening at the VP sales level? Is it talking in the marketing level? Is it the CEO or the C-suite going, we're just not getting results and we're just like, we're, we're throwing tools and we've spent money and nothing's, nothing's getting better. 
curious where the breaking point usually happens in an organization. I'm thinking about my audience listening, going, oh yeah, yeah I've been saying this to my boss for, for six months, but we haven't done anything about it. What, where does the breaking point usually happen and kind of where, I guess, where, where, when your phone rings, who's on the other end? Yeah, for sure. So it comes down to two things. Um, either it's, um, you know, I, I, I've grown my company, my company, I'm a successful company, but I've been in a revenue plateau for, you know, a number of years. And I really want to accelerate out of that into my next phase of growth. Um, and the second one is we're, we're just getting ready to scale. Right. And, and we need to, um, organize our kitchen, uh, before we do that. And that sounded like owner, senior leader, CEO, the COO type role, just the way the la the language you were using, that sounded like yeah. senior operations, like something's yeah. not working or we're getting ready to, to, to go to battle and we need to make sure we're tooled up. Exactly. <laughs> the kitchen analogy is more peaceful. We're having, we're going to host a dinner party and we're missing, we're missing all these, these kitchen tools. Yeah, exactly. You know, the analogy that comes to mind is like, you're going to get ready to run a marathon. <laughs> You want to make sure you're you've had the right diet. You know, you you do a checkup just to make sure, like you're good, <laughs> you're good to go run that marathon, right? That's kind of like, what I've yeah. been told. Don't buy a new pair of shoes the day before. I've heard that's a bad strategy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is not working out. Um, okay, so so interesting. So, and for you, for is this RevOps? Is this the is, is this the the revenue operations? If we really think about everything that falls under that. And it's a term I hear so much more with anyone I talk to in the U.S. I just hear yeah. it less in Canada. Yeah, is is that really what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's it's definitely a core piece of it, right? So you know, we're we're kind of looking at that revenue engine um, holistically, and the uh, foundation to that revenue engine, right, is the RevOps foundation. Um, so, and essentially, what that is is a uh, you know aligned systems, processes, data, and people across the marketing, sales, and customer success function. And um, everybody, everybody working together for a common outcome. So, yeah. So, such yeah. sounds so simple when you say it that way. Exactly. And where are your where where are your ICP located? Are they in Canada and then the US? Are they North American wide? Like, who are you dealing with? Because I really want to get a perception of just beliefs from different mm. parts of the world or even different parts mm. of North America. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we work with clients, um, you know, out of the U S um, or, a, you know, a Canadian operation, um, Canadian company with a U.S. operation. Um, and we definitely have worked with, uh, with some Canadian clients as well. But I, I think the, um, you know, the thinking around the revenue function is definitely a little bit more mature in, uh, in the U S market. Any, any, now I'm asking you to crystal ball a little bit. Why do you think that is? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, okay. A, it's it, it's just a bigger market, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Um, well, all right. Well, yep. <laughs> True. You know, and uh, you know, I I just think that there are you know there's there's more companies competing uh, in in this category. I think there's probably more information. Um, and you know, I I also we we, we have observed a, you know a, a cultural difference. Um, you know, okay. between the U.S. companies and their um, willingness or, you know, desire to, to shift and change, um, you know, when, when it comes to growth. So, um, they might be like a little bit more, um, you know, it, it, it's more of a timing thing. Like, I think this is coming to Canada, right? This is slowly happening. Um, but the, uh, the U S based companies have definitely been faster to adopt the, uh, the thinking around RevOps. So interesting. Uh, just these stories. Oh, we're this many years behind this. Whether it's marketing automation, whether it's bringing to like just in marketing, it feels like we're it's slowly coming. But it feels like slowly is a very real phenomenon. 
where companies like, yep, this is interesting, but no, we're not going to do it. Anyone I know does business in the US, yeah. you're, you're going to get a much quicker uptake and you're going to get a very different, yeah, yeah, we need to do something different. And like, there's more of a fire under their arse, to be honest. <laughs> there's a it's more competitive it. market. Is that it's just what it is? Yeah, the fire is everyone's trying to eat your lunch. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, Gartner that, that came out a few years ago and said, well, you know, 75% um, of, you know, the, the world's highest growth companies, right, are going to move to a RevOps model by 2025, right? So, um, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of conferences going on. There's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of information, um, you know, being, being shared um, in, in that market that, uh, you know, the, the Canadian companies may not, um, you know, be exposed to. No, that, that's fair. From your guys' perspective in terms of you know, your ICP, are these, are, are these companies that are, that are already have that mindset and now are looking for ways to fix it and to make it better and to get into the nuts and bolts of doing it? I'm just curious of like, when you're, when you're, you know, thinking about our audience, where are they at in their mindset and what are they, what are they starting to think about at those moments where a service like that you provide starts to go, Oh, okay. I get it. And I know why now I would pay to have someone come and help me with this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, they, you know, kind of like I said before, they have gotten to a certain stage of their growth, you know, so there may be like 20 or 30 million in revenue and they have aspirations, you know, to head to that 50, 60, you know, 80, 100 million in, in revenue, right? And they know that, you know, what got them to their, you know, their initial stage of growth is not going to get them to their next level. So it really is a, a, a lot around, um, around mindset and just the willingness to say, okay, I know I got here in this certain way, right? I, I you know, took this route, but I know that that route is not going to, to work to get to that, that next level. And, mm. um, you know, whether they're thinking about RevOps or not, I mean, when we started doing this, right, RevOps didn't exist. So it's, mm. um, it's nice that, you know, that term was coined and, and you know, now we can label it, <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a commonly uh, understood term. So, you know, I, I think it's more common that they have that challenge around their business growth. Um, I, you know, they, they might not see um, the, the path and that's why they're looking for that outside expertise to come in and, and advise, right, on, on what are the pieces and how, you know, how do we bring all of the moving parts together without wasting years and years in trial and error? Right, because that certainly can happen. That makes sense. Uh, curious, who? What's the team makeup like? Do I need to hire different people? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm just really trying to put myself in this in the ICP shoes of like, okay, we're aware of this. You know, we've become aware of it. We chat with you. I look at my current team and go, oh, geez, you know, who's going to champion this? Who do I need? And you know, you're seeing some of those RevOps related titles more so in the U.S. But if I don't have those people in place, is this sales driven? Is it more operationally driven? I'm assuming everybody's involved, but we all know if you don't have a champion, you don't have a successful in engagement. Who do you see normally kind of get involved? And is this someone that the companies need to bring in people to really focus on this or does it get on someone else's desk? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So um, this is absolutely a team effort and, you know, alignment is is very, very crucial. So, um, you know, the CEO really needs to be behind this type of initiative. Um, but the, you know, the other players at the table are, you know, the, the marketing leadership and the sales leadership. 
um, you know, are, are really like the, the core core functions. Um, you know, it, it it'll it could be a, a RevOps leader, um, you know, or or even uh, potentially a CRO. Um, so, I I think the one thing I I would stress is this is a executive leadership type of initiative, um, and you know it it does um, take the organization through a high degree of change. Um, and when that change does start to happen, it's very, very crucial um, that, you know, the leadership team and the CEO are, are on board and champion, championing that change um, through, uh, through the entire um, project. You know, to add to that, I, I would also say this is a revenue initiative at the end of the day. Right. So what we experience is like we definitely need strong um, sales champion, like marketing champion, like at the leadership level and supported by the C-suite. But what it quickly happens is that kind of like moves from a this is a marketing initiative to a sales initiative to this is a revenue initiative because it's actually starting to plug leaks. And you see that result in terms of revenue. It's starting to generate growth you're going to see, see that in terms of revenue. So everything starts connecting back to the revenue. So it becomes, um, we, we kind of see that shift as they are, get more and more mature, that it shifts into became, becoming a revenue initiative. And it's really supported um, together in the organization. We kind of like have even used the terms of like, this is a growth initiative. So, you know, the the, the sales leadership at times become like the, the biggest champions and leading it, right? So it kind of like goes back and forth. Um, and just one more thing to add to this. Yep, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Just go ahead. A, another thought, just getting all kinds of thoughts here. Um, you know, typically because we are also looking across different functions, um, the, the CEO is typically really the only person empowered in the organization to really make decisions, right, across those, yeah. those, mm, those functions. Yeah, okay. So, while we will have champions, right, from the, the marketing and, and, and sales leadership, there, there really needs to be someone on board who's going to be able to look at their organization holistically and say, yes, right, we want to break down the silos, right, between these teams, right? So we need somebody who is fully empowered to be able to, you know, make those types of decisions, um, you know, across that, that revenue life cycle. That makes sense. I'm curious, who who get who who starts who gets it first? Again, well, aside from leader, get into the divisional. We got the sales have it. We've got product. We've got you know customer customer attention, customer success. Who really starts to get this? And the, when where do you see the light bulbs go off first? Of like, oh whoa, this is back to revenue. This is my comp. This is my superpower. It's going to be amazing. your favorite answer. It's the marketing team. <laughs> They're the it. most I excited. Wanna, I, wasn't, I wasn't asking that question <laughs> thinking it was going to go there. <laughs> It's, it's well, just so, the marketing team, um, you yeah. know, they, they have a hard, hardest time to show results, right? To so value, they, right? they get the most excited and then the sales team starts to see revenue results. Then they get really excited. The CEO, uh, again, like to Jen's point, the CEO is holding that big picture and kind of helping them because uh, it's a marathon, right? We have to run a little bit of the marathon to say, oh, I've crossed like this much kilometers and I feel good about it, right? So someone is holding the vision and kind of like taking the team. Um, so, well, it, it literally just has the most simplest terms, and one of the biggest challenges marketers is attribution. How do I show that this effort got this outcome? And that's a you know, in the world of digital, we all think it's super transparent and easy to do that. It's still a little bit of a panacea, and the the ever promise of that you can attribute every single effort, blog articles, linked a social media post 
to a sale down the road, which you can't, you can ish. It really depends on how, how well it's set up. And for marketing, it can be a real challenge because you're always, you know, 50% of my marketing is working. I don't know which 50%. It's a very old joke, but it still rings true so many times. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that analogy you had about, you know, the, you know, some of the old school tactics like, you know, trade shows. Well, those are key revenue generating activities for a lot of companies, right? Mm -hmm. e even in this day. Um, but the trick is being able to, you know, to your point, a, you know, attribute to those types of activities. And, you know, typically a company invests very, very heavily, um, you know, to, to go to a trade show. So is that a high performing revenue activity? We want to be able to answer, right, answer that question. And um because okay. it's a high cost. It's a high cost exactly. and it's a high yeah. effort. And it's sometimes it's, well, we, we've always done it, but we don't know. And we're scared. We're scared to stop doing it, but we don't really know why, except we've been doing it for a lot. Like I've been in those conversations so many times to take the ambiguity yeah. and the guesswork out of what, what tactics should, should be implemented. So when you guys get involved, do you bring in technology? Do you optimize and use the technology that's already in place? I'm assuming it's a balance, but really understanding because technology can really bog these processes yeah. down sometimes because then all of a sudden it becomes the quagmire of which tech should we use and that takes six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So do you want to? We definitely do look at their technology foundation and, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about technology, it, it's kind of like the technology is going to hold all the data. So mm -hmm. sometimes trade show is a long game. You know, sometimes we see three years in attendance and the third year the company ends up closing a multi-million dollar deal, <laughs> Right. So you have to have that connection. How do you manage that data? It's data coming to, you know, to that uh, clarity, bringing you that clarity, right? So technology is like a, a means. So we absolutely, you know, take a look at the technology foundation because you have to have the right revenue technology foundation to build your scalability, to accelerate your process, to remove friction in your process and to access the right data. So um, think of it as the... <laughs> The, the means in which like has to, there's a, a, a huge people component, but there's a huge technology component and both need to come together. Are you, from your perspective, are you guys relatively agnostic when it comes to the tech? I'm assuming there's gotta be certain tools that you prefer that you like have seen better results from. Cause there's so, you know, there's the main ones and the banners we all know. And then there's the million other, we've all seen that, you know, that's those yeah. slides with like, I think there's 8,000 or 15,000 like apps on there now. Uh, I can't remember the last time I looked at the mm -hmm. marketing operations slide or even the, the, the that yeah. side of it. Uh, how challenging is that for you with an organization that they're like, no, we're bought into this piece of tech. And you're like, ah, it's just not serving you. Like, does that become uh, some of the earlier stages of your conversations? We have a process to actually address it. And yeah. one of our processes, we run a very thorough um, assessment on uh, the capabilities based on this is the data that is required for growth. This is the automation okay. that's going to help you to accelerate your team so they're focusing on the right things, right? And there is the ease of use component. Let's not forget about it. <laughs> not everything comes with the ease of use. There are some technologies that can do great things, but it's so clunky. There's custom development. There's You just go down the list, right? You have to invest a lot of time. And sometimes, depending on complexity, you need it. But what we're really looking at is, do you have this capability in the combination of your technologies to set you up for growth? Because down the road, we are like, okay, well, you know, oh, here is a, um, we call it revenue opportunities. There's our opportunity here if we accelerate the process and we access the right data. But hey, this technology doesn't support it, then we can't really help them, right? So we definitely do a very thorough, detailed assessment and put that information in the beginning, so we get that addressed as we before we start our process. 
Okay. Which I appreciate that. So now I'm going to put you on the spot. If I was starting from scratch and I knew I was going to be at 10 million, very short period of time. And I came to you and said, I want to do this right. I believe in this. What tech stack should I put in place? Do you, do you have any recommends? <laughs> and I, I'm putting you on the spot with that, with that question. But if someone was building it it's from scratch so, and they're listening, so they got their pen answer. and pencil right now, ready to write some stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to answer because it's industry specific, right? Ah, so okay. we have our preferences, but there is always an industry specific thing that surfaces. Like, you know, um, there is a delivery technology that kind of depends on, okay, well, can I access this data? Yes or no. In a lot of cases, this, you know, your technology in place could answer it, but you really have to look at it. And this is a common thing that we find. Companies are like, oh, this is um, a common um, promoted big technology. So we're going to start there. They go in or they get this huge discount. It's like, oh, this is a no brainer. We're going to start there. We just need some technology. But guess what? Two, three years down the road, they're like, oh, my God, we do not have the visibility that we thought we needed. And it's so clunky. It's um, people are struggling with adoption and they spend so much time. It's somewhere between six months to at least a year in rehauling this technology. So much money um, is spent on this effort to straighten the house when it could have been built on the right foundation. Right. So a company like ours, we look at data across the revenue funnel automation across the revenue funnel on, you know, what what do you need to set up that right scalable technology foundation so you're not kind of going into two years or in this case, uh, Tyler, you said like 10 million in one year, you go at that and you're like, oh my God, hmm. I have no idea how I got here <laughs> because the data <laughs> helps you answer those questions, right, for scalability because you could have had a star player got you to 10 million and you lose that star player. Now, where do you start? That relationship could be owned by that player, not in, internally by your company, right? So it's really like really thinking through that, um, especially if you're having those big goals, um, will help you to continue that. You could go 10 million, 10 million the following years, or you could just stop at that 10 million. The, the question right. is, you know, what is your end goal here? And more people that are looking to go with the 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus 10. You mentioned industries. Uh, any areas that you're seeing really gravitate towards this, like certain sectors and even just areas where you have seen the most success when you work with them because they have the right mindset or the competitive, the way that industry functions really lends to this. Anyone like to call out a certain sector or vertical that you're seeing where this is being adopted or there's some more uptake? Yeah. Like our success has been in the services side, big okay. time. Um, technology companies are definitely adopting um, the this looking holistically across the revenue function, but either I'm gonna throw something out. But there is a mindset that we we internally were were engineers. We can solve across the revenue function, right? So we see that while this is put in place in a lot of technology companies, services companies are more on the on on the wavelength of okay, we need to bring the functions together. It's not really the, the technologies because there's two pieces, two key pieces to this puzzle, right? The right technologies, the right processes, actually three, and then people bringing all of it in alignment. Mm, I appreciate, well, you've got it, with that, it, like you said earlier, that's where the data gets captured. And if we can't capture the data, we can't understand where the opportunities are, where the gaps are. And so fundamentally it, it's the foundation, but it's not, it's yeah. not the answer. <laughs> it's yeah. just a piece, like you said, people process tech. Um, yeah. How long have you guys been in business? Six years. 
Nice. That's all. Congratulations. Uh, what's been the biggest challenges for you? And I always like to bring this back because we're all on the journey. We're all building our businesses as a marketer, as in what you do, you're spending so much time helping other people to build their businesses. But I'm always curious, what are some of the challenges you guys have gone through kind of building your own and six years? That's, that's a real period of time. You made it through the, are we crazy to geez, maybe we are. Okay. We're going to keep going. Oh shit. We had a few <laughs> wins. Like you're, you're on that journey. I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll start off and then Alice, you, you can add in, um, I'll, I'll actually start off with a, a fun fact. Alice and I actually worked together uh, before we started uh, Digital Magenta and um, we worked together in a tech company basically doing um, this type of work. And, you know, we kind of looked at each other and said, we should really go, you know, help companies do this because, you know, it's, it's going to start, right? It's going to, people are going to start wanting to do this. Um, so I, I think the number one challenge for us is we were early um, we were very, very early um, in the market with this type of solution. Um, so, you know, the messaging around it and how do we, you know, convey the value in all of the pieces, um, you know, and, and like I said, this was before, you know, there was a, a nice term called RevOps, right? So, um, you know, I, I think those, those were some key challenges and, you know, building out our offer and making, you know, making it, you know, scalable and repeatable, um, you know, to a certain extent, you know, we, we have this framework, which helps our, our clients accelerate faster. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time um, and put a lot of our expertise, you know, our, our lifetime of expertise right in into this framework. Um, so, you know, that was a lot of heavy lifting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now we have it and, and we can use that in uh, it. It is applied, um, you know, it, it's not like a one size fits all. It is very customized to each client that we work with, um, um, but still um, is the tool that we use to uh, to really help um, this transformation go faster. So, yeah, so those were a couple of things that, that I thought of. Yeah, the, the biggest, um, I, I think Jen touched on it, it's the mindset, right? and the adoption curve, because um, when we started, there was no uh, term that clearly defined this. And um, there there have been some early adopters who are really winning right now. Like, I'm so happy for them, right? Um, and now the, the market is like starting to catch on fire, but in the US and Canada is um, still kind of like getting um, that knowledge that, oh, this this is possible. Mm -hmm. to look across it's not like to solve growth i just look at marketing and i look at sales and i look at customer success i look at acquisition but this is kind of foundational so that mindset it's still um we're we're now we're like okay the market is like speaking our language <laughs> or, you know so um how, how much is has educating been a part of your your work like there's, there's the, I'm like, there's the problem aware or there's the solution aware and those different places that customers are at. I'm only assuming that like educating and telling re and re retelling the story, especially in the early days, how much was that a big part of your own kind of marketing and, and sales efforts was getting out there and talking to talk. Yeah. And speaking has been very, very important um, for us because you know, it, it's really hard to convey the concept in five minutes, right? So <laughs> those times that we've been able to, you know, have a speaking session or come on a show like this where we have a little bit more time, um, you know, to really walk through all of the pieces, um, you know, that, that's been really important for us and something that we actually really need to continue uh, to do. I think this is another challenge is, you know, 
focusing on client engagements and doing all the things as, you know, as founders and, and having the time to also, you know, keep your foot on the gas with, um, you know, with your own, you know, marketing and um, being able to, you know, conduct those educate education sessions. So, um, but we've as, done... as a small business, it's very time consuming, a small, even medium, large business. There's a lot of large business I know that just struggle to get out the content and be the educator and to be the thought leader. And it's such an easy thing to go through. Oh, be a mm-hmm. thought leader. There's a lot of time and energy and effort that comes behind that. It's very easy yeah. to flippantly throw that on a strategy. Thought leadership. Oh, yeah. wait a second. What do you mean by that? And what and what's the commitment to actually doing it? It can be incredibly challenging for, organi- for organizations of every size. I just have huge respect. Like companies that pump out a lot of good yeah. quality, consistent content, that doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> uh, yeah, it takes teams, right? It takes a full team to really do that um, high quality content on a, on a consistent basis. So, And then having all the tools and all the mechanisms in place that you spoke about to capture what worked, what didn't. If someone read it and they were interested, how do we bring them into the funnel? How do we get them closer and closer kind of into even having a conversation with all the stats? You mentioned Gardner earlier. I love, you know, how much of that buyer journey is now done (laughs) self-directed. Like once I want to talk to you, you better answer the phone. But up to then, do not bother me. I want nothing to do with you. That's just getting more aggressive, I find. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely. You better answer the phone when they call, but don't call them. Do not, don't bug me. Do not bug me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> you very, any, very putting on my marketing hat for a second, are you seeing any trends in that sector specifically that you're excited about, whether it's just, you know, the company's the ability to use some of the channels, whether it's, you know, you know, Google, if they're looking for you or LinkedIn, if you're looking for them. And is there anything that you're seeing that like from a takeaway, even from an audience perspective? Yes. I'm a little bit more self-serving with my marketing question, but is there anything that you're seeing with some of the companies you work at that like, wow, okay, those channels or those tactics are really starting to drive some, some, some marketing qualified leads. You know, I can speak to that. And again, this, I'm just going to throw a lot of industry dependent, but I'll tell you what the industry dependency here is. So, you know, audience actually um, okay, gets perfect. benefit. So what I find is in the in the services industry or in, in, in any industry, actually, if this is a common product that people are searching for, there's a, a clear idea of what they are typically would be searching for. Search presence is amazing. We've seen tremendous results because the rest of your channels also kind of like start to seeing a boost. That's a very common thing that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other channels like where the thought leadership really... Um, I, we've seen work is LinkedIn, absolutely. Like, you know, consistency, right? N- no matter what you're doing, that consistency really um, starts producing results. And it could be LinkedIn for a certain industry. It could be Instagram for a certain industry. It could be Facebook for a different industry. And we've seen this all play out within our clients being there's one top um, channel champion that's happening, you know? Um, so, yeah, it, it, and... And in all of that, I, I think what's really paying off is really understanding what is working for you, which of these channels are working for you and doubling down on those channels and having the data to being mm-hmm. able to clarify. And not, and not being overly committed to, I believe it's going to be this channel. Let your, let your ideal customers tell exactly. you what channel it is. You know, if, if you told me all my customers were going to be at nine o'clock at the movie theater, I would advertise <laughs> yeah. at that movie theater. Like that, you know, it, it's this agnostic of people. So like, well, this is dead or that's not working. None of it really matters if, like, if exactly. it does, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really matter what and, you think. You know, not to, not to demean that, but we all have our biases and they usually cloud our judgment from time exactly. to time. Yeah. <laughs> not us, like not, not the three of us, but other people have that. <laughs> and all <laughs> oh, right. Our judgment is never clouded. <laughs> never. No, my God. No, like <laughs> we're in a safe, we're in a safe, we're in a safe, we're in a safe space right now. 
Come on, podcasting is the best platform for everything because I love yeah. podcasting. No, I, I absolutely. And you know, um, <laughs> I appreciate. I know, and I appreciate the insights. And it's nice to talk about this conceptually. But I also love to give people a few nuggets of like, oh, let's name some names and let's let's speak about some actual things. Because you're right, it is very conceptual, but it's not. As I've talked to you before, you guys get right into the nuts and bolts of it. Like it isn't this like, oh yeah, RevOps fluffy thing. It's very data driven and it's very step by step. And I do really appreciate that you can't unpack all of that even in a 40 minute podcast episode, let alone. But hey, minutes. I just want to add one more to that. It's it's a having clarity in your goals, right? It's you know you're expecting a mm. revenue outcome, and this is a common thing that I I hear. Oh, we're doing brand awareness. So there's no revenue outcome. Actually, that's a false fact. I have seen revenue outcomes out of brand awareness. It's making sure it's connected to being able to read that revenue outcome, you know, and making sure that you're able to see that and say, oh, we closed exactly our ICP or we closed other deals. Like having that clarity, where does that clarity come from? That comes from data. And, you know, when we, we lead a conversation with data, people kind of get lost and this is that tangible factor, even in terms of like your channels, having that clarity, are we driving the right customers? Are they getting to revenue? And this was our goal. And we closed revenue in this goal. And here was a clear revenue goal and we didn't get to close it. And here's the amount and, and the cost per lead that we spent. These are really good information to make those decisions and continue uh, on, the, on the right path, right? I really like what you said about brand awareness and it's so easy for companies that are not typically in the advertising space. They diminish that. Oh, we don't spend money on that. We only focus on sales driven, but it's the lack of attribution that actually creates the yeah. problem not and makes it easy to go, oh, brand awareness. But what is familiarity? It's also brand awareness of getting out there and being consistent on a channel with great, you know, like closer to the bottom of the funnel content, but it's still people seeing your ad, seeing your name, understanding right. that, oh, I didn't even know that you did that. And you're like, oh my God, we've been doing that for 10 years. Like those kind of the things that come out that you're just that slow process of educating, you know, our customers are all busy and distracted <laughs> like we are. <laughs> How do we keep like top, top of mind with them? Is there any barrier for smaller organizations to get, you know, as technology becomes more prevalent and more accessible you know, we talk about 10, 20, like what if I'm listening and I'm a $5 million company? I'm assuming a lot of these same lessons ring true, but is there a barrier when companies just don't have team size or budget to to get to do this properly? Is is there something like, is it holding me back or is I just have to be more creative with how I do it? Or is it just still the right mindset? I think it's really um, content. Any, any company, any size can really, um, you know, build um, hmm. content, right? So... It comes down to making it a focus because it's it's kind of like um, content, um, the, the, the revenue engine is kind of like fed by that thought leadership and that content piece, right? So if you're a small company, instead of, you know, worrying about, oh, I don't have the resources or I don't have this or that, it's really, okay, what you can do today is start putting out valuable content, like educating people in your market. Either you can do that or there's someone um, who has the expertise in your company that can help you with that, right? So really looking internally to say, how do we feed the content engine and keep it going? Yeah, and can, can I just add point. on to that, yeah, Tyler? Sure, um, please. Yeah, I, I just have a thought around that, that question. Um, so, you know, can companies at that, you know, that, you know, around that 5 million, you know, benefit from, from this type of, of thinking? And I think, you know, often what it comes down to is, you know, it is like you said, mindset and, and it, it's short-term thinking versus long-term, you know, mm. 
you know, thinking or, or strategy, right? So, you know, again, you know, what are my goals, right? Is this something that I want to invest in? Because if you're at the 5 million mark and you invest in this, you will be able to grow and scale without the leaks, right? It would be a very, very wise investment. But what we find is, you know, at that size, you know, maybe the initial investment of the company hasn't paid off yet. And, you know, the, the leadership and, and founders are a little bit reluctant to invest right at at this level to really create that foundation so you know i think if 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 there's long-term thinking at, at play and you know i really want to set things up so my company can can grow without the leaks can grow with the like less headache you know i i can grow with potentially less you know less overhead um then then yes they can absolutely benefit um so maybe they're uh, in a stage though where they haven't felt like the initial investment has paid off and they're not willing, right, to invest mm -hmm. uh, in their growth at, at this level. Um, so I think the bottom line is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Classic consultant, Jennifer. It depends. <laughs> but I'm going to bring it back to you. You know, if I, I'm starting to run. Maybe one day I'll run a marathon, but I'm not going to get serious about it. I'm not going to go get my gait analyzed. I'm not going to get a run coach. Because maybe one day, so then all of a sudden I build up all these bad habits <laughs> and yeah. I get all these injuries. And then yeah. all of a sudden I'm like, oh, in a year now I'm going to I'm gonna run a marathon. And now I have to go back and literally feel like I'm starting over. That's yeah. the metaphor, you know, since we've kind of pulled that that marathon running for. Yeah. I want to get started. Like people, I know so many people, I'm going to get in shape first and then I'll go get a trainer. I'm like, you're kind of missing the whole point. Get the trainer right away. And yeah. then you'll get there much faster with less injuries exactly. or, or, you know, and maybe less discouraging episodes. I gym. love this Just analogy. Just to use the fitness analogy. Yeah, I love this analogy. It's... Uh, you know, and, and there is another analogy, right? Like uh, around health, it's like, do you wait till you get cancer or do you go and do all the preventative measures so you don't get cancer, right? Preventative, it's, please. I'll take preventative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I completely, because once once it happens or once that, yeah, that, that it's, it's not that it's too late, it's just going to be a lot harder now. <laughs> yeah, and it, it will cost more, right? I mean, if you yes, get too yeah, far down this path and you really then want to do this and you know, the, you know, you, you have these, you know, leaks and layers of technology and people and data, it will cost more to sort it out. In the run, so. You know, can I um, add like a, a tangible thing that we've seen? We've worked with $5 million companies. We've helped them improve revenue. These are like the, those um, people with that, you know, foresight, like planning for the long term. Like, here's a goal that I want to go. Yep. I know I'm going to need this, and so but I'm going to get it now. We've also yeah. seen at the five million dollar range a common uh, approach we've seen is like acquisition, and when you are doing acquisition as a strategy, this becomes even more important because you have your own things, mm -hmm. and then the company that you're bringing into the fold has its own challenges. So now you're adding complexity to this whole revenue leap thing, right? So you know you could just say, "Oh, my company went from revenue here to here quickly." But from there, what happens becomes an even more complex, um, you know, situation. So just kind of want to see, you know, put that out because we've seen that very commonly um, it being a, a very mm -hmm. um, quick um, growth strategy without realizing that it's kind of compounding that complexity, you know. Well, and all the things that can go wrong and the stats around, the, you know, how much value is actually achieved through growth and acquisition and mergers yeah. and all the challenges, uh, you're now bolting into potentially not, not you know, efficient sales sales and marketing and, and, and customer service cultures with a whole bunch of mixed tech and it just prolongs it versus going, no, we have a system and we're going to see where you're at and almost assess it. So we don't have that huge lag that often happens after, after a merger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
where, where the chaos ensues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ladies, I love that your perspective, certainly your passion and your roll up the sleeves and, you know, you're doing the thing and you're living it and you're creating value for the, for the companies that you work with. And, uh, you know, I hope, and always with a podcast, it gets people thinking like, Oh, geez, I wonder what, you know, and if nothing else, it gets them to maybe think about their own revenue leaks. Nobody likes that. It's such a dirty word. Revenue mm -hmm. leaks. Mm. Yeah. But it's powerful. It gets my, it gets my attention. So if someone is curious, um, I'm assuming consultation, they can have a phone call, you know, first, first kind of foray is to kind of chat with you guys a little bit. What's, what's the best yeah. way for somebody to, to leave this podcast and reach out and, and get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. So send me an email, jennifer at digitalmagenta.com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'd love to have an initial conversation with anyone who is interested in, in learning more and, um, you know, provide some helpful insights, um, you know, uh, if nothing else. So well, you guys, you're in digitalmagenta.com. Your website's great. You guys really lay it out step by step. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to help you. I appreciate even you said the challenge of like productizing something in a way that makes it easy for people to understand when it's not cookie cutter and it is a little bit different every time. I think your website does a really good job of that. So, and I know as a marketer, how challenging that can be to make that clear. So I think you guys did a great job. So I encourage people to go check it out and <laughs> give it a good read. You'll, you'll feel smarter after or feel more overwhelmed. Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> Well, many iterations to get it to that point, and it probably, you know, you. we'll have many more. <laughs> <laughs> I know when you're the owner founder, your website's always like, oh, geez, I got to change it. I know, I get yeah. it, I understand. But yes. Thank you both, Alice, Jennifer. It was a really pleasure chatting with you guys and to really understand a little bit more about what you do. And you got me thinking, you got some wheels turning, which I love that. So thank you. 